a samurai, a samurai sword, a prosthetic arm, a false arm, a coffin, a stuffed fox, a puffer fish, a lawnmower, a park bench, a World War II gas mask, and a set of false teeth. Anybody got any clue what they have in common? Sorry? Nothing. Well, no, you'd be wrong there, Jonathan, because actually they're all things that have been handed in at London Underground's lost property. (laughs) Maybe you're missing some of those. Now, there's a story being told of a bloke who actually did lose a pair of false teeth on the London Underground, and he went to the uh, um, lost luggage office, claimed um, a set of teeth, put them in, went on his way, returned an hour later complaining of robbing that they obviously weren't. (laughs) Now, quite how many people lose false teeth on London Underground to enable somebody to go and pick up the wrong pair, I do not know. But we're looking at lost things today, and we're going to be returning to Luke chapter 15 to look at the lost parables that Jesus told. Now, I know that the astute amongst you will say, but hang about, didn't we cover the lost parable um, at the uh, Urban Saints birthday service? Well, yes, but this is interesting, because... Emma led the birthday service, and quite independently, we both felt the need to speak about the lost parables. We didn't collude, we didn't copy, and this was quite a few weeks ago. And I scratched my head and I wondered, well, should I really repeat some of the messages? Because I wasn't here, I was in South Africa, but I had reports that uh, Emma did a, a great job. But then I figured, do you know what? If it takes Jesus three different stories to get the message across, surely it's worth two sermons. And we're going to read the passage from Luke 15. Very, very familiar passage. Very familiar stories. Very similar storylines. But all with a subtle difference. So if you'd like to turn to Luke 15, if you want to in your pew Bibles, and we shall read together. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around him to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost coin. 
In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's come back to him safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you gave me, never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Very, very familiar story. If we could have the uh, PowerPoint, please, film. And there's a clear message in it that reveals just how happy, ecstatic God is when someone who is lost becomes found. Right throughout those three stories, there's the clear message of rejoicing. But why would Jesus use three different stories the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Three different stories to give that message. Surely the message is clear, isn't it? Now, I believe Emma let a bit of a cat out of the bag when she was uh, leading the uh, birthday service. That I quite watching, quite love watching this uh, dreadful program, really, 
called Baggage Battles on TV. I don't know if ever you, any of you have seen this. But it's a program about people who go to auctions where they sell off lost baggage. Anybody seen it? It's dreadful, really. But do you know what? It's, it's strangely compelling in that the things that they unearth are just incredible. You know, it goes from a case full of dirty underwear from a holiday in Benidorm through to almost priceless gems and jewellery and all kinds of stuff that people have just left. And these guys, they don't know what they're getting, so they're bidding kind of crazy sums of money in the hope that they will find something valuable. And do you know what? God in these passages, in, in his word, is trying to give us the message of just how valuable we as people are. And how much effort should we go to to reclaim that which is lost? Do you know what? I sometimes think we are so ambivalent about the lost people that are out there. I sometimes think that we don't actually get the value of these people to God. And I think that's why Jesus has to say three times why it's so important to seek and to save the lost. Now, if you think about baggage battles, there are, in my opinion, probably three reasons why um, people might not claim their luggage. You might think of others, but one of them is they might not appreciate the value of what they had in the first place and kind of just write it off. Well, I've lost it. It's just not worth the hassle going looking for it. They just don't appreciate the importance of it. The second one might be that actually it was too late. Maybe they died. Maybe they couldn't reclaim it because uh, of particular circumstances. They left it too late. And maybe the third one is that actually, in the big scheme of things, the case that they lost coming back from a particular journey is not high on their priority list. They had many other distractions and things to worry about. I am, of course, discounting the fact that some of them might think it was contraband and they couldn't claim it and blah, 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 blah. But there's maybe those kind of three key reasons. And when we look at these three parables, similar though they are, I think there are three distinct reasons why Jesus says we might be lost. Let's look at the first one. Not quite in the order that uh, they're written, but the coin. First off, the coin was an inanimate object. It did not know it was lost. It had no means of knowing it was lost. It had no means of finding itself. It was entirely dependent on somebody looking for it and recovering it. But it was a coin. It was worth no less for the fact that it was lost. Second one, the sheep. It's not a very clear picture there. That's a shame. But if you look at it closely, that sheep is 
duck jammed in, wedged behind a wire fence there, unable to move. The sheep got lost by drifting away. Now, I don't know if you've ever watched sheep in a field. What is their normal position? Their normal position is head down, chewing away at the grass, gradually moving away from one bit of green grass to the next, not really paying attention to what they're doing, head down, almost going anywhere. The sheep got lost by drifting away. Didn't intend to get lost, really. It was just kind of following its nose. Once it gets stuck, and I've seen sheep in all kinds of places, stuck in barbed wire uh, fences, stuck in hedges, dropped down into ditches or uh, fallen onto ledges that they can't get out of. Once that sheep gets stuck, I'm sure it realizes it's stuck and it's lost. But in many cases, it has no means of getting back on its own. It's stuck. It's helpless. And then thirdly, the son. The son who's sitting there in the mud of the pigsty. He deliberately went away. He knew exactly what he was doing. It wasn't even on this kind of spur of the moment thing. If you notice carefully from the reading, he went to his father and asked for his stuff. Then it was a little while before he decided, I'm going to leave. It was completely premeditated. He knew exactly that he was turning his back on his father. Whilst he had a great time to begin with, he did realize his mistake. The most shocking thing, I think, of this part of the three-part story is no one was looking for the son. His father was waiting for him, but he didn't go out searching for him. It was entirely down to the son to make the first move. It was the son who said, what have I done? You know, my father's servants, they have all this stuff, and I'm sitting here in the mud of the pigsty, having to, you know, beg, steal, and borrow anything I can to eat. I'd, you know, even be happy eating the pig's food. But he had to get up. He had to make the move. He had to go back to his father's house. But fortunately, his father, whilst he was still a long way off, saw him and went to him that he had to make the first move. Now, who was it that Jesus was addressing these parables to? If you notice at the start of the reading, if you've got your your Bibles open at the start, the first couple of verses, he was speaking in response to the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, who criticized him for sitting and eating with sinners. And do you know what? I am convinced that what Jesus was saying was a clear message about the importance of seeking and saving the lost, but I also believe there was a hint of irony, deliberate irony in what Jesus was saying to point the finger at the Pharisees who thought they did not need to repent. So I think a big chunk of the message that we see here 
is to those who think they don't need to repent. I think also, and I'll explain why in a minute, a big chunk of the message is to the church. Because look at the language that Jesus uses. First off, the language of the sheep. Now, when the Bible talks about sheep, who, does it, who is it usually referring to? God's children. Yeah? Peter is instructed by Jesus to look after his sheep, take care of his sheep. In Revelation, when we're judged, it talks about the separation of the sheep and the goats. And the sheep are the ones that go to spend eternity with Jesus, and the goats are the ones that go away. So often, when the Bible talks about sheep, it's talking about the church. So what does it mean when there's a lost sheep? Is it talking about people who are in the church who drift away? who perhaps are so wrapped up in things, their heads down in the things of the world, that actually they end up, before too long, finding themselves out of fellowship and separated from the church. Do we know people like that? Do we know people who've fallen out of fellowship? What does Jesus say is our responsibility? Again, look at the language. Jesus says, suppose one of you have a hundred sheep. He doesn't say, suppose I or God had a hundred sheep. The responsibility is on us to look after the church, to go and seek and, and, and draw back into fellowship those that have wandered. As Jesus instructed Peter, take care of my sheep. Then the woman who lost the coin. When a woman is referred to in the Bible, what is it often likened to? A woman or a bride? It's the church. Yeah? And the significance of the coins, a lot of commentators say that the significance is that these are ten very special coins, perhaps given to this woman, this bride, um, by her husband as a special gift of a sign of his love for her. And often they would be formed into a kind of headdress, and these headdresses would be worn on special occasions to uh, celebrate the love between a husband and a wife. And the loss of one of those coins would be an absolute disgrace. And you know, the Bible says that as a church, Jesus calls us to present ourselves as whole and blameless before him. Not missing a few bits and pieces, not missing a few members. As a church, it's so important that we are a body. And what does the woman do when she loses a coin? What's the first thing that she does? She lights a lamp to look for this coin. And what are we supposed to be as Christians? We're supposed to be a lamp, a light showing people the way back to Jesus. Now, I think this message clearly, and, and 
talking about the kind of the, the fact that the coin didn't know that it was lost. This is a message for us as a church to search for those who are lost that don't know it. And they might be people in the church who come along week by week and actually kind of share in the fellowship but don't know, don't have that relationship with God. It might be people outside who we need to seek and uh, bring into uh, a relationship with God. But what's absolutely clear in the word of God is that Jesus will not come again until his church is complete. He will not come again until all those who he has predestined, and let's not uh, get too hung up on that, but, you know, God knows exactly who is going to be saved. Until that number is complete, Jesus will not come again. So the duty is on the church to bring his people to completion. And then the lost son. The language that is used here, remember the son has the inheritance already. He has everything he needs and the language is not of somebody who is lost and has not received that inheritance yet. It's somebody who squanders that inheritance, who decides to go his own way. Again, I think it's a message for the church about those who are given gifts, who have that inspiration of the Holy Spirit and yet choose not to use it. Choose to use their talents, their time, their giftings to their own end, not to God's end. Again, a clear message to the church. We have been entrusted with the task of making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Three subtly different messages all emphasizing the value of those that are lost. Three subtly different messages that talk about the lost outside, but also those that are struggling, drifting away, or lost inside. What's our response? Well, going back to baggage battles, are we ambivalent about the value that each individual has in God's eyes? Or do we recognize the rejoicing that there is in heaven when somebody turns back to him? Are we that passionate about seeing the lost saved? You know, we live in a world where most are lost. How many of us are here? How many of us out there in Lynn? Not worshipping God this morning. Jesus calls us to seek and to save the lost. Amen.